0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia win bet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm doing all right.
2: Yeah, it's a lots of stuff happened. So it's the last time you and I, I recorded. I didn't want to say too. I didn't want to say good because I don't think I'm good. But but uh, I think we have quite a bit to talk about this week. I don't think we're in panic mode either. We're gonna talk about a lot of stuff today. I think. Yeah. Um.
1: Normally we like to come on this podcast. We like to have fun. Like That was the goal of the podcast when it was initially created. Come on the podcast, have fun, make analysis as fun as possible for the people listening. Hopefully we've accomplished that over time. But I think this week we have to talk about something that's serious. This is a serious thing that happened within the Suns organization. And it's something that we're going to have to talk about now and likely the rest of the season. And potentially up until the imaginary sale of the team according to this source, at least. And this is from Jordan Schultz on Twitter. This is what he said. I know everyone listening to this podcast knows it, but I want to break it down word for word here and go through everything that we know about this so far, because it's not much, uh, but it's a little bit more, I think, than some people listening are aware of. He said, Breaking the NBA is preparing for a massive story accusing Suns owner, Robert Sarver, of racism, sexism, and sexual harassment in a series of of incidents sources say with enough evidence to support such claims there's a real chance the league would forcibly remove sarver so this is a monster story now uh, some things not in this is it's by espn and espn is planning on posting it uh, soon we don't know exactly when i think everyone is I-, I guess you could say bracing for it um and i just want to remind people who, to, who are talking about this We are very pro-Robert Sarver selling the team on this podcast. And I think everyone listening, everyone who's been a long-time listener is aware of that. Just to remind people when they talk about this, there is victims here, right? Potential sexual harassment in a workplace and what has been described as an extremely toxic workplace where people have likely been harassed and had things said about them and done to them uh, throughout potentially the entire time that he's on the team. Uh, based on these sources, right? We don't know anything yet, but we're going to parse through it as we know it. Um, I'll just quickly say, and then Sam, I'll get your reaction on this. This came through, and um, I had a weird set of mixed emotions, sort of this weird uh, selfish, almost excitement at the potential of Robert Sarver being forced to sell the team, Um, maybe some anger at the way it was framed, uh, some anger at, at him as a person, and just some... Uh, anger at the fact that you and I spent a lot of time on this podcast, Sam, talking about potential distractions in a year that the Suns are competing for an NBA title. And that was just from a extension for a player that's in restricted free agency. I, as far as distractions go, it's big, but like not very big in comparison to the potential of an owner who... <laughs> has potentially said racist, sexist things and uh, participated in a workplace culture that included sexual harassment. We don't know who it came from, him or others. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, so anger at the size of the distraction of this for the team and the players on the team. And as a fan of somebody who just really wants to talk about basketball, anger at that as well. So a real mixed set of emotions. I, I know you saw
2: it right when it came out here, Sam. What do you think? Uh, for what it's worth, I feel an obligation to say the Suns put out their statement from their side. They you know, said that it's uh, profoundly false and that people should not rush to conclusions. We do not know any of the details yet. The story they hasn't dropped. They said it's based on lies,
1: yep. innuendo, and a false narrative to attack our organization and its leadership, which right. is insane. Just let me just, it, say.
2: It just important to put that out there so that they, you know, they had their official reaction. That's their official reaction. Right. Um, I think it's really important that you noted uh, just the fact that, Suns fans this is going to get ugly at some point in the next in the coming weeks and yeah there may be that um there may be that feeling for Suns fans to want to go out and and celebrate like that may be your initial reaction but but yeah depending on what's happened here there's certainly the potential that very many people in the Suns organization over years and years have been gravely negatively affected and we can't forget that in all of this so we'll wait to see we'll wait to see what the details say for um Jordan Schultz, specifically one thing that, I, maybe you could say this is nitpicking, one thing that bothered me a little bit about the tweet that came out, uh, I don't mind the fact that he scooped ESPN. I'm sure ESPN minded because now they have to rush to to get all their verification and their sources together yeah. and make sure the Suns have a chance to respond. And they they didn't want to be scooped naturally. You don't want to be scooped if you're inside that no, media The story's not done. Exactly that, and that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me a little bit, and what bothers me a little bit from an ethics standpoint, is um, edit or, or maybe not ethics. Maybe maybe I shouldn't go f- as far as to say that, but an etiquette standpoint is editorializing uh, and giving your reaction before the story has dropped. Like I, f- I feel like when you say this has great potential for Robert Sarver to sell the team, yeah, before that's an opinion the, before the story has come out, that is an opinion. And that is an opinion that aids you in spreading the story as far as you possibly can on social media. Right. But it's a little bit dangerous in that it allows certain people to now control the narrative and set certain expectations for what this is going to be before we know anything. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because we don't, we don't know what's going to come out on Monday. This could be tomorrow, could be next week. It could be next month. I imagine it'll be pretty soon, but we just don't know. And there's a wide range of outcomes. In, in these types of situations in the past, you look at on one end, obviously, the, the example that everyone's going to think of is Donald Sterling with the Clippers mm-hmm. back in, I forget the exact year, was it 2011, 2012? Something like that. Yeah. So long ago now. Um, Chris Paul on that team too. Chris Paul on that team, of course. Owners, board of governors come to unanimous decision. Uh, Sterling is no longer owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. On the other end of the spectrum, you have something like the Dallas Mavericks sexual harassment scandal just a couple of years ago, which was very successfully swept under the rug and no one even talks about it anymore. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah.
1: Uh, there are, it's safe to say that there are many, many grudges against Robert Sarver that I imagine, whatever this story is when it comes out, it will not be easily swept under the rug. I'll, I'll give you some more facts on the story in just a second, but I just want to also just acknowledge the fact that scooping the story ahead of time also allows the sons to get ahead of it and to try and attempt to uh, control the narrative, as as one could say. Uh, a phrase that I really hate, but that's what they're attempting to do. And, and the story they're att- <laughs> the they telling right now, by essentially saying it's based on lies, innuendo, and a false narrative to attack our organization and its leadership, is that there is some sort of agenda from the press to attack Robert Sarver which is just insane it's just completely insane to me this is the kind of defense that comes from a narcissist a a super rich narcissist who just thinks that anyone saying anything negative about him is out to get him and right there are plenty of reasons even without this specific story to say things negative about Robert Sarver just with his own leadership and the way that he has run the organization that is the Phoenix Suns, the fact that they are now saying that there was some sort of secret press agenda against the Suns is a batshit insane story. And I'll say this too, just just for the people listening, Sam and I are sort of navigating a complicated story here, um, and we're gonna do our best. And I think that. I believe that Sam and I have a responsibility. I made this up for the record, but I believe that we have a responsibility uh, to say exactly how we feel and to to present the story exactly how we feel it needs to be presented to people because we do not have access to the team. And what I mean by that is when you don't have access to the team, you have to essentially worry about your access. You don't have to worry about your access being taken away from you if you say the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying that the Suns would do that but i can say that i believe that there are people that have covered the team that are afraid that that would happen for one reason or another uh we do not have access therefore we will try to present to you information as best we can uh with our opinions factored in without having to worry about that access so just for the record we will do our best here uh, because this is going to be a a potentially a year-long story maybe longer kind of says a lot about the state of sports media right there yes exactly uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, f- favors are traded for access, and, and I'm not saying that people for the Suns uh, do that. I don't know. You can sort of read how people talk about the team and make your own conclusions based on that. Um, Certainly at the national
2: level. Certainly definitely at the,
1: at the national level, level. Yes, all the time. Jordan yeah. Schultz went on Arizona Sports Radio, and this is what he said: "This report is a monster. As bad as you might as bad as you might think it might be for us to be having this conversation, it's worse." What I was told, some of the things that are going to surface in this report, including sexual harassment, it is jaw dropping. There's just no way that, with all of these people on the record, men and women, that he's going to be able to survive this in my eyes. One of the parts of the response to the Phoenix Suns or of the Phoenix Suns was that it was from people that were not on the record. He also stated that on the record for this story is former general manager Ryan McDonough and former coach Earl Watson. So, there are going to be plenty of people on the record in this story, including people with high profiles. Earl Watson, a former NBA player. Ryan McDonough, former assistant general manager for the Boston Celtics, former general manager for the Phoenix Suns for years, uh, and going on the re- willing to go on the record after potentially signing NDAs. We don't actually know this to be true, but it's, it's an assumption that we can make here that uh, people who run this kind of work... Uh, culture tend to have people sign NDAs. So we'll see how that works with them. Uh, they're going to be on the record for this story. They've also said, Jordan Schultz has also said that more than 50 people have been interviewed for this story. So more than 50 people that have been associated with the Phoenix Suns, including people who have worked for the Suns have been interviewed for this story. This is not just a regular report. This is not just conjecture. Somebody said that we've heard these reports like this every April. I don't know what they were referring to on my Twitter, but that's just not true. This is a well-researched report that will be everywhere on ESPN soon. And it's important to note that if ESPN is writing this story, they're not just a, a website, right? They're a website. They're a magazine. They're an Instagram account. They're a Twitter account. They're a TV show <laughs> company. Uh, yeah. They're a podcast company. This story will be everywhere. There is no way for this to be swept under the rug based on the vastness of this story and the media outlet that is about to post it. This is going to be a massive distraction for the Phoenix Suns from potentially mistakes made by an owner who has already done so many bad things just in a basketball sense. And yeah, we're going to have to cover it. I don't know. What are your
2: thoughts on any of that that I just read out here? It's a lot. <laughs> it's it's so much before we know the actual Details. I mean, again, just going on the radio and and setting the grandest of expectations. So we'll just have to see. You know, the, I, I guess the only other thing I could say is the unfortunate fact of I've talked about the situations we've had in the past with owners, uh, kind of embroiled in in various scandals. There's a political game too when it comes to the the board of governors meeting, and and kind of deciding that sort of stuff, you know, making those sorts of decisions of who gets to be an owner and who doesn't. And I hope that doesn't get in the way too much of the facts of this case when they come out. That's the only other thing I would think of.
1: Yeah. I mean, be cognizant of the people that are involved when you talk about it online. I'm just asking people that listen to this podcast, please be cognizant of that. Uh, Just be aware of it because you want to be sensitive to the people that are involved. There likely potentially could be victims here. So it is what it is. Uh, but the other part, Sam, I'm glad you brought that up. The likelihood of Robert Sarver being forced to sell the team at some point in the near future uh, is, I still think, low. I, we have not; we don't know the details of the story. We're, I'll be honest. I'm trying to find out. I'll, I'll do my best to try and find out some details of the story as quickly as I can. And if I know anything uh, of import, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Um, I promise. And I, I do think that it takes a lot for... Let's just call them billionaires who are afraid of things in their past creeping up on them as well to vote for the uh, actually forcing uh, uh, someone to sell what they consider their property. So it it would take a lot for that to happen. Uh, So if you're if you're already looking forward to the future, um, let's just say that the more likely scenario where the Suns team is sold, in my mind, is that this, the press is so bad for Robert Sarver that he himself makes a decision that it would just be better for him to cut bait and leave. Uh, I think everyone voting to force him to sell, I think that those kinds of scenarios are going to be less and less likely in the future. And I've heard somebody like Mark Cuban say that there's some sort of slippery slope. This is from something that happened a few years ago. Uh, and I don't know that that's something that will happen. So I just kind of doubt it. Do you agree with that?
2: You know how these guys think. They are in it to protect their own interests and, yeah, they tend to come from the same general sect of society. So, yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah. Skeletons in the closet. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Mikael
1: Bridges were asked about this um, either before or after the last game. Uh, Shout out to Dwayne Rankin. I think he was the person that asked. Chris Paul said the Suns have a solid locker room. I believe he said it was the best locker room of his career. Devin Booker said, something has to come out first before he comments on it. And McHalbert just said, we all have distractions in this world and that they just need to stay locked in. What none of them did
2: is defend Robert Sarver. As they shouldn't. I mean, that's that's not their role to play. <laughs> Pretty, that's exactly blatantly. Right. yeah, But they didn't do it. If they believed
1: he was a certain kind of person, they might defend him. I do think that it's important for The Suns to be, it's nice, it's a good situation for the players to be in the scenario where they have a leader like Monty Williams and a leader like Chris Paul who has quite literally been through this before and he can guide them and navigate them through this scenario to try and eliminate, I don't know if you can say that, as many distractions as you possibly can or at least reduce them to try and keep them focused on the proper goal which is winning as many games as possible including a championship at the end of this all. I mean, I can't, imagine, I can't imagine a more frustrating scenario in this season than the Suns potentially having one of the best teams they've ever had. And just this report and Robert Sarver potentially just kind of taking a big shit right in the middle of the season, uh, right at the beginning of the season, really, that could be a massive distraction
2: for the rest of the season. And it'll right. be
1: interesting I- to see how the players navigate this. I do not envy the
2: situation that they're in. Uh, the only thing I'll say to that is, evidently ESPN's been working on this for a while. Supposedly, you know, th- again, we, I have to At keep least repeating six myself. Months. I have to keep repeating myself. We do not know the details yet, but I suspect the timeline of events here is going on many, many years. If not months, months, two years. Um, you know, Robert Sarver's been an owner for 17 years. The, my point mm-hmm. being... This could have come out at any time. It could have come out when the Suns are a 61 team. It could have come out when the Suns are a 21 team. And yeah, the organization's just going to have to trudge through it either way. I think one guy, by the way, who's probably in the toughest position here to navigate is James Jones.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Who, yeah. you know, kind of the guy and and you could just tell. The Suns put out a series of statements from a bunch of different people, and then James Jones's, who I I don't have it pulled up here, but it was about two sentences long. I don't know if you want to go and find it. but I can summarize it. He said that
1: that's not the Robert Sarver that he knows, which I think is a very specifically worded thing that does not
2: implicate him in any way. It's a man who's basically been credited for turning the Suns organization around and, and making them seem welcoming to players again based on his past as a former player. Yeah. And yeah, now he's in a situation, I mean, he is a bright, considered a bright mind in in the GMing world now, but mm-hmm. he has to protect his own inter, uh his own interests, he has to protect his career, and at the same time, he has to not step too far out of line. So that's yeah. a really tough, that's a really tough situation.
1: Yeah, and without betraying the person that he is, like that, yeah. I think that's part of it as well, which is a complicated thing for, I mean, a black man to be in a position of leadership on a team with an owner that is now going to be at some point in the very near future credibly accused of racism. That's a complicated position to be in. Uh, for the players for James Jones for Monty Williams it's 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 insane it's just completely insane I'm not looking forward to it I, I want to say uh, shout out to Ryan McDonough and Earl Watson who are willing to go on the record for this that is not I, I I'm not I don't want to be hyperbolic in this but I do consider that a brave thing to do. Uh, these are people who want to have jobs in the NBA in the future, likely, uh, willing to go on the record against an owner because they believe it's the right thing to do. And I am i just want to give them a shout out there. Uh, obviously, we will parse through it as it comes. Um, and we'll try to our best to cover this. We're not... I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that we're equipped. We're best equipped to cover this story, <laughs> Sam and I. We're just here to have fun. We want to talk about basketball. But we're not going to ignore it. We're going to cover we've it the always best said, we can.
2: We're not journalists. To, we're not here to cover the nuts and bolts. Um, but we are here to give an authentic reaction, and I think that's what we'll do. That's right.
1: You got anything else on this? I know we don't have much right now, so we would. just our best
2: here. I would, no, I would, I would gladly move on uh, okay. to some of the encore basketball stuff we saw this week. We should cover that too.
1: All right.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: All right, the Phoenix Suns are now one and two, one of the worst records in the league
2: <laughs> after three games. And uh, are you panicking yet, Sam? I'm not panicking. Uh, I will say this was one of this was like the most bipolar week of basketball you ever could have gotten, <laughs> right? By far, 25th in net rating so far. How does that look mm-hmm. after after not last great. season? Not yeah. great.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you and I. Uh, talked about it uh, before the season. We expected the Suns to come out hot this season and actually be one of the better teams at the beginning of the season because of the continuity and the fact that they're returning a lot of their most important players and just with a very few amount of additions added to the team. I think what we didn't factor in is Devin Booker got COVID. (laughs) I think that's a big factor in this and was not clearly... Uh, in the right condition to start the season. I'm still glad they played him like they did. He has yet to play over like 31 minutes in a game, uh, hope, hoping that they're able to up his minutes relatively soon. I think he's looked a lot better in the second half of the Lakers game, and I think he started out the Portland game really well um, and, and then sort of tailed off at the end of the of the Portland game. And then they didn't really play much towards the end as well because they were down by a lot of points. Uh, so it's tough to say how many minutes he would have played in that game had it been a close
2: game. By the way, uh, you mm-hmm. watch the Portland game on replay, right? Mm-hmm. You are back. We we should note you are back. Your audio quality is yeah, good again for those that's right. <laughs> for yeah. those who listen to the Patreon midweek too. It's it was rough for a while, but we, we got back. <laughs> um, doesn't it suck to watch like blowout losses on replay? Did you? I mean, yes,
1: I did a lot of fast forwarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am not. I am not going to say I spent a lot of time taking notes on individual plays and stuff like that. Uh, I would prefer to go back and watch the Lakers game again, <laughs> I think that was a lot, I had a lot of fun uh, watching that game, it was just hilarious to watch the Lakers sort of pout and lose, um, but yeah, the, the, the Portland game was not very fun to watch, and just like as you talk about, Bipolar Week, I think, we talked about Game 1 in our Patreon episode, so we don't have to get into that, uh, the Lakers game, I thought, was kind of fascinating Did you find it difficult? I found it difficult. I think to judge how good the Suns looked in that game, uh, because of how bad the Lakers, how bad the Lakers are currently, (laughs) that made it really
2: difficult for me to set proper expectations going forward. Did you find that as well? Yes, I found that as well, and that's why you know if you hear us bring up any stats for the rest of the episode, I think it's more in the kind of descriptive sense of like this is literally what happened, and less so in the predictive sense of. We don't fucking know what's going to happen in the future at this point. <laughs> um, the Lakers don't look like a team that has an identity. And on the one yeah. hand, that's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's really great because that's supposedly one of your toughest competitors in the Western Conference. And, you know, they'll probably figure it out at some point, yada, yada. But they just
1: need a few lineups. I'll keep saying that. They just need a few lineups that work by the end of the season. If they can make it into the playoffs,
2: they can still be dangerous. Yeah. But in that game, yeah, it's like. You know, and and the other thing is you go into that Portland game. Portland's on three days of rest. You're on a back-to-back. So, okay, you anticipate that that means you're at a 10-point. Like, that's usually a 10, maybe even 15-point swing sometimes. You have to really be at your best and hope for, like, poor shooting from the other team to be in that situation on the road, come Mm -hmm. out with a win. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there's a difference between that and getting trounced, which is what actually happened. So it's just really hard to judge. Mm -hmm. Really hard to judge because the Lakers look so bad. Yeah. What
1: do you think, just watching the games, what do you think is the biggest problem with the Suns and how they're playing so far?
2: The biggest problem with the Suns, uh, from a statistical standpoint, and, and this is maybe different from an identity standpoint, but the starters have looked really bad. And yeah. I think it's difficult to talk about it. We we've kind of touched on this. I think we touched uh, talked about it on the Patreon episode as well, just because it, it was relevant in the Nuggets game too. The balance of power in the offense is still something that they're very much trying to figure out and and just to throw out the stats here the stars have played 61 minutes through three games they have a 96.2 offensive mm-hmm. rating that's putrid mm-hmm. they have a 125.8 defensive rating and again small sample size you know but it, you know that's like the worst defense of all time a minus 30 net rating mm-hmm. and the big thing the starters have logged 61 minutes together no other lineup for the sun so far has logged more than 12 so mm-hmm. it's it's like mostly the starters playing and they just haven't been able to figure it out. Now, some of that I think is luck. Jay Crowder is like one for eight hundred from three to open up the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so somehow he could,
1: has a floater now though.
2: He does somehow have a floater, and I kind of like it actually. But yeah, um, I, I I appreciate his uh, willingness to try and get to the basket a little bit more. I will say that. Now, however, yeah, he hasn't been able to to hit a three. That would obviously help the offense immensely. Devin Booker, we've talked about his conditioning. Um, I, I think definitely Mikael Bridges. There, Mikael Bridges in a way has looked like the Sun. Well, I wouldn't say that. Chris Paul has probably been the best Suns player. I think Mikael Bridges. There's a case though, almost mm-hmm. that he's been the uh, best player through three games. He's averaging like 18 points per game to open up the season. He's hitting his threes. He's trying the mid range stuff. It doesn't always work and sometimes you watch them run plays for Michael Bridges now and you're like, well, wouldn't that be better if you just did that but for Devin Booker? So mm-hmm. it's it's again, it's it's tough. <laughs> uh but you know, but on the other hand I've I've been talking up him embracing that role all offseason long, so I, I I want to continue to see him be that third scorer because I've talked yep. about it forever. Um and then you have DeAndre Ayton and I think DeAndre Ayton the uh I I wouldn't say Warning, warning bells, alarm bells are ringing. Exactly. Um, I do think there have been spots of uh, momentary lapses of engagement for him. And I guess it's after the playoffs where he was just so engaged all the time. It's kind of hard for me to tell if. Oh no! Like here, here we go. He's he's just he's completely fallen off a cliff. Or if it's kind of just like he's back to his normal regular season self, where he looks good for most of the game, and then certain quarters or certain plays, you know, takes plays off. And I mean that's kind of how it was for a lot of a lot of the regular season last year. You know, I think yeah. in general Aiton's defense to open up the season has still been really good. I think in general he's trying a little bit more often um, to get to the rim, whether it be through uh, his own volition. And and really just having the initiative to like start plays and dribble from the elbow, or whether it be through Ooh. catching and stride. What's when that? you say a little more often, I as mean, compared I, to, I mean, like he's doing the regular it season last year. It's definitely not the playoffs, right? I'm talking about the regular season. I mean, he's doing it once per game instead of zero times per game. He's like he's dribbling. <laughs> okay, and 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 it's progress. It's yeah. progress. Mm-hmm. you know i didn't expect it to happen instantly right so i you know yeah. i didn't expect aiden to come out of the gate and average 30 points per game and dribble the ball 500 times so i think it is progress um i think uh but yeah there there have been like little moments of uh little lapses on defense and there have also been kind of weird engagement things uh with his rebounding so far but again mm-hmm. it's just through three mm-hmm. games I've, i have noticed though three games uh, but like half of each game <laughs> I have noticed. I have noticed. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the starters, I I really don't think it's any one thing with the starters. I don't think one player is entirely holding them back. I think basically every player in the starting lineup, except for maybe Chris Paul, uh, even Chris Paul, I think, could probably shoot a lot more than he is. But but basically, everyone except Chris Paul just looks off for one reason or another.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I think if you want to really point out one player that's kind of holding them back i think definitely for the first two games that was devin booker but he started picking it up uh, in the lakers game and it was it was the conditioning was it was a big factor here because conditioning does a few things it's it's his first step right it's his ability to get to the rim and it's his ability to def- defend on a consistent basis throughout the course of an entire game and i think those three things were affected he couldn't quite get to the rim in the first two games. Got a little better at it in the Lakers game and seemed to be back to his normal self getting to the rim in the Portland Trail Blazers game. And I think the effort defensively has not quite been there with Devin Booker so far. And I think he'll get better. That's not something I'm entirely concerned with because I think that is mostly just them trying to get him back into game shape. He did not have a preseason really, just half of one game. And I think he could get a lot better um, you know, with some conditioning But yeah, DeAndre, it's confusing, you know, one half he'll look great, the next half you'll just forget he's on the court, and he set the standard, like at this point, the the kid gloves are off, the kid gloves need to be off for everybody talking about them, I I don't give a shit if people online get mad about how we talk about them anymore, because he himself set the standard of what he can do in the playoffs, and it becomes incredibly obvious when he is not meeting that standard. Uh, you know he's healthy. He's in shape. Monty Williams said he, this is the most in shape he's come into the season so far. So it's for him. It's about engagement and effort. And if that's not there, it becomes incredibly obvious. And I don't care if he's mad. I don't care if he's pouting. There's teammates that count on him. Uh, so again, you know.
2: again, it's only three games. But I just I'm looking at the stats right now, and this is kind of funny. DeAndre's averaging ten points per game so far in 30 minutes. Then you have his backup, Javale, right underneath him at nine points per game in 13 minutes. Yeah, and they run the same exact offense from you yeah. know when the when the two guys swap out, it's still just that pick and roll offense. So yes, you do sort of wonder wh- why, <laughs> why, <laughs> yeah. But yeah,
1: I, the one thing I'll say though is, oh, uh, to to give him some credit, I think that there's they're running plays that slip the screen uh, a lot more so mm-hmm. far, and that means that Aiton is commonly catching it in that sort of short roll area, and I think he's making good passes out of it. He's still l- not looking to the rim. Quite enough in those scenarios, but be able to ke- being able to catch it and definitively and quickly move the ball to a shooter in the corner when those shooters are open because the help yeah. comes off the corners, I think he's he's done
2: a really good job. I uh, do think there's I do think there's progress there, but I you know I'm glad you mentioned that because I also wanted to point out just the other thing that happened this week. When you talk about the kid gloves are off, the scouting report on the Suns now is is reads like a novel, whereas last year it might have been a packet. And so these right. teams are prepared for right. the Suns. The the, right. the Blazers came out. We all know, you know, we talk on this podcast every week. We all know DeAndre Aiden struggles in the short role. It has to get mm-hmm. better. We all know yeah. JaVale McGee's not great in the short role either. No. So the Blazers came out last night, and I just thought they had a really good defensive game plan where we've talked in the past also about you don't trap Chris Paul exactly because he gets the ball out of his hands too high, uh, too fast, but you can high show on Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Where you yeah. send that you send that help and they did the same thing for Devin booker for, you d- yeah for a deter, good two seconds yeah just two seconds you deter the initial drive don't let the guy get to his spot in the mid-range that he wants don't give him the initial look in the offense with 16 17 seconds left in the shot clock because that's what he wants so you high show mm-hmm. you stay on shooters in the corners and then you still you still help off, you know. Obviously, there's still going to be help because you can't just give the roll man an easy dunk. But when you're helping, the guy who is helping is making sure that they're doing it in a way that they're not helping uh, one pass away, so they don't give DeAndre an easy read when he catches the ball in the short roll. That's what Portland was doing. Mm-hmm. They there was and and actually I talked about they were doing it to McGee too, because mm-hmm. there was a when the game really started to fall apart last night, there was a five or six minute stretch when it was actually the bench. And Alfred Payton (laughs) came out onto the court. And the only offense that was happening is they were giving it to JaVale McGee again and again and again. For a five or six-minute stretch, the Suns could not get the ball to Landry Shaman or Cam Johnson. They couldn't get any shots up. The only offense they could get were JaVale McGee layups and dunks. And sometimes that's great, but it cuts off your capacity to do other things. And we see it when McGee's on the court. We see it when Ayton's on the court. Portland came out really prepared. These teams know how to play the Suns now. Like it's it's not it's not a secret anymore what their yes. weaknesses are. So mm-hmm. you need to be on it every night and you need to have well, counters.
1: Well I think this is a huge this is a huge thing with DeAndre and catching it in the short roll. If he's unwilling to attack a one on one uh situation with a smaller defender in that scenario, faced up, right? That's gonna be easy to defend because then they right. have the ability to rotate to the shooters because they can rotate off of the hard hedge, and, the the show that you're talking about. And and right. uh And look, the other thing is, DeAndre has gotten relatively good at inside-out passing. So if he's down low, he's able to find shooters. He can't do the other thing, (laughs) the outside-in passing. The thing that actually, the opposite is the case with JaVale McGee. JaVale, not quite as good at getting it out to shooters, relatively good at passing to cutters. Um, So, like, if if you're sort of aware of those things as well, in the scattering report, just as you're talking about... You don't have to worry as much about cutters when DeAndre Ayton has the ball relatively high. There's been a few passes that he's attempted to make so far early in the season. Uh, the majority of them have been turnovers. I think he did find a, Mikhail Bridges on a nice cut once. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, they're forcing the ball into the big's hands, right? And and that was fine when Saric was the backup. It's, it's okay for JaVale. And I think DeAndre Ayton is still... In somewhat of a learning period here, and I think he has to find ways to look at the rim a little bit more, and engagement has to be really high for him to be able to do that. And uh, look, if it sounds like we're picking on him a lot, it's because the game plan is now going to feature him a lot because of how teams have been defending them uh, early on in the season, that means he plays a massive role. Dynamism. The Suns won with dynamic offense. And if it just becomes one thing over and over again, they're not going to win as many games. Teams
2: are rightfully afraid of both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And now teams are even afraid of Mikhail Bridges. Like they guard that three like they didn't guard that three a year and a half ago. If you're DeAndre Ayton, that's great. That gives you more space. This is a war of inches. It's not, you know, when I talk about the differences in some of these schemes between the shows and a high show and a low show and, and all this stuff, it's a war of inches. If you're eight and you need to seize those inches. You see them staying uh, in the yeah. corners on Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges. You eat that space. You don't settle for a 15-foot jumper over over a smaller defender. You yeah. pound it into the floor, put a spin move, attack, do whatever you got to do. But you got to get to the rim. If they're giving you that space, you have to seize it.
1: Yeah. And look, that's offense. And I think the offense has been bad. The starters are, are 96 offensive rating. So that's really bad. Uh Defense has been bad across the board, though, and you know, like I, I think you're you're right about the ability to sort of get into the Suns' heads a little bit when defending the Suns right now, uh, with really smart scouting and trying to put in the ball into DeAndre Ayton's hands in the middle of the floor a lot, which I still think he has done better than I have expected early on in the season, and it's just up to everyone else to kind of come up to speed here. He, did, he just needs to look at the rim more. I'm just going to say it again. He needs to look at the rim more. If it's a help defender off a corner, it's a guy that's much smaller than him, and he's looking at that a lot and passing out of it a lot. Uh, get fouled. It's okay. Um, by the way, fouls, just quickly, tangent. The Suns have shot 20 free throws a game so far this season, which have is they not really last. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is good. That is quite last good. Last year, it's it's there are less fouls so far uh, in, in the first few games of the season.
2: For every uh, team, because of the way it's being defended, props to the refs. They're really yeah. doing it. They are I think really, yeah. they are really doing it. Yeah,
1: and uh, and the Suns somehow have increased the amount of fouls they're shooting a the game, and I think that's a combination of uh, a willingness to attack by Cameron Payne, Mikel Bridges getting the ball more, going to the rim. And I think DeAndre Ayton has still done relatively well getting fouled. And actually, JaVale McGee, who has, a t- has is a terrible free throw shooter so far, is getting fouled a lot near the rim. And I think that has increased it as well. Something Charich, uh couldn't buy calls <laughs> when he was under the rim. So sorry, tangent there. Uh, but defensively, the Suns need to figure something out. And I think for the defense so far, it's just the awareness and the effort and the preparedness that was there for the Suns. Uh, last season for the majority of the second half of the season in the playoffs. is just not quite there yet. And that's not something that, that doesn't worry me, I think. Because sometimes that takes a little bit, especially when a, a guy, a major piece of your rotation, is just not quite at game shape yet. And probably not just him. There's probably other guys too that are not quite at game shape yet. Um, the one thing I'm a little worried about defensively is Chris Paul. I, just, I think we're going to have to watch how he plays defense this season because the offense is still there, and it might never go away. Like <laughs> He might be 45 and still able to get that mid-range shot off. I think the thing that might take him out of the NBA eventually is his inability to defend at a high level as he gets older. It hasn't been alarming yet, but it was a little bit alarming at the end of the playoffs, and I think we're just going to have to watch it. Is there anything that stood out to you defensively that the
2: Suns need to do to change? There's not anything super big. Um, I think mostly it's from the other side. Like Portland just demonstrated why pull-up shooting matters. Uh, hats off to CJ McCollum, man. You should be the one saying this actually, because I know you're a hater. Oh yeah, I know. No, I, I know you. You should be. You should be. You should apologize a little bit. No. <laughs> I'm not talking about
1: his ability to win a regular season game when I just, all right fine when I discredit I, him.
2: <laughs> here's the thing: we know CJ McCollum is not the guy he was in the game against Phoenix last night, and uh, yeah. there are questions about Portland's going to get into the playoff series again. Is he going to be able to do it? Okay, we've 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 talked about that, um, but a game like last night, I mean, dude, the Blazers have f- arguably four pull-up three-point shooters better than Phoenix's mm-hmm. best pull-up three-point shooter. Like it's Dame. Yeah and then CJ cooked you. He cooked you. Simons can do it. Norm Powell can do it. I like it doesn't the shooting doesn't work for them like that every game, but when it does there's only so much the Suns defense could have done. Like that that was a crazy aberrant shooting performance for the Blazers in a way that killed you and it's it, you know it just sucks because I I look at those games I don't think they're going to happen that often cuz I I still think there are only a couple of teams that can really do that. It's Portland is like the team that does that. Obviously the Warriors as well. Unfortunately you play the Warriors 4 times a year. But I look at those games with just like longing. <laughs> oh, I just just like I just want <laughs> I want that. I I want I wish we had a guard off the bench who could do that. Maybe Shamit develops that look, ability. I don't know. Just, but I wish we I've had. I'll just that.
1: tell you. Don't I- I understand what you mean, and I completely agree with you, for the record. But also, in the two games that C.J. McCollum has played so far this season, he's shooting 71% on pull-up three-pointers.
2: He's just hot right now. <laughs> no, I know he's just hot right it's now. I, not I, I, I said that. I know he's hot right now. I know it's not consistent. But yeah. it's the fact when, like, imagine the Suns with his, and, and there's no way this would happen. Like, not even a C.J. McCollum. But imagine even if the Suns had an Anthony Simons-type player. You know, yeah. just like a bench player you could plug in. When you have a guy like that going off like that, it doesn't have to be every game because if you have a versatile offense with other other outlets, then yeah. you can go to those other outlets. No, but when you when you have a guy who's making those shots, there is nothing a defense can do. Fuck your scheme; it yeah. doesn't matter. And yeah. like, well, he, for he, as good as Chris five Paul, a game for, both for as good played. as Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, once they get to sixteen feet, that still allows the defense to load up on you in a certain way. That yeah, it's just it doesn't it doesn't make a difference when you have these yeah. guys pulling up from thirty feet. I know CJ doesn't play like that every night. I've watched CJ for ten years.
1: Yeah, thirty six percent from from uh, on pull up threes last season, which is great. Like I'm not gonna just disc- that's but that's similar to what Chris Paul does. It's just 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 on a lot Chris more Paul, volume, exactly. Yeah. Chris Paul shoots two, maybe three a game, and CJ shoots almost six a game, or it did last season. So it's a massive difference in that. But uh, I think the I think what's what's uh, worrying about that sort of strategy is outside of Steph Curry, it's not really been a reliable thing in the in the playoffs, just in the NBA playoffs so far. It's a difficult thing to rely on in those games, um, but sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think at the regular season, you can catch a guy who's shooting 71% <laughs> from pull-up three-pointers. And by the way, CJ, 25% so far this season. On catch and shoot, so it's just just, just um, early in the season, weird things are happening so far.
2: Something we've yet to see, because you're right, but it's kind of a small sample size thing. Teams are gradually taking more and more pull-up threes every year, but Mm -hmm. these teams that really dominate the top of the charts, it's been Golden State and Portland forever, and just with those teams, we've never seen them paired in such a way. I mean, I guess you could argue KD with the Warriors because KD's good at everything, right? But you've never really seen the perfect pairing of giving those pull-up shooters the interior finisher like the elite kind of short, again, short roll interior yeah. finisher type, who would make it such an impossible combo. Because I think that, that gives you a different look in the playoffs. That really gives you, okay, it doesn't matter if he's missing his shots now because we have another look to go to. I look at maybe... Um, Atlanta as long as we're on this whole sidebar now. I look at maybe Atlanta and Trey for as much as his three point shooting was advertised coming out of the draft we haven't seen the efficiency yet. We've seen the volume for sure we've seen the audacity. He takes audacious Mm -hmm. bold shots. We Mm -hmm. haven't actually seen him shoot like 36, 37, 38 percent on pull up threes. I think it was almost
1: exactly the same as Booker last year. Exactly. He
2: shoots closer to 33. He just shoots a million a game but I think of him and I think of like pairing him with Capella and John Collins and all those guys and I'm like hmm if he ever figures that out like, he's already so good, but that is how Atlanta, like, becomes even more unguardable in the playoffs, and yeah, I think I just think, like, pull-up shooting is so fascinating to me just in general, like, yeah. especially when you consider the long-term ramifications of, is the league ever going to talk about a four-point line? Is it, a, you know, what, what would have to happen for those conversations to, to go on um, at the highest level? And the answer is, I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's something I'm always tracking every year.
1: I think it's more likely they devalue the three-point line than try to overvalue long-range shooting. But we'll, we've, we'll talked about, the we've talked about we've talked about that
2: before. I think that's very possible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I do think it's interesting. I just I'll say it again. I just don't. I, I as much as I think pull-up shooting matters, I do think that the Steph Curry and Warriors titles I think uh, sort of made those the value of those sort of outsized in a way that people think it's absolutely necessary in order to win at the highest level, and I think it it helps a lot. But I do think that the Warriors are sort of an anomaly in their ability to be successful with that because they have the greatest shooter of all time. And there's just not of other, if you compare it to the success of the Portland Trailblazers, who rely on it a lot, I think more commonly it'll result in the endings that the Portland Trailblazers have (laughs) sort of had in the last few years than it will in what the Warriors did because of just the difference between Steph Curry and other shooters. It's just, I mean, he shot 45% on pull-up threes for a long time. <laughs> that's
2: just, that's the type of thing that just does not happen. It's like a layup for him. And he's yeah, top, top 75 all time for a reason. By the way, did you see the, did you see the, this might be fake news that I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some tweet I hope this is real now. I saw some tweet <laughs> from like a Brooklyn Nets account oh, no. of a, a dead 404 link. You get a 404 error if you try to go there now to the NBA's mm-hmm. website of like they were posting trailers before the list came out of the mm-hmm. NBA top 75 guys. Oh, no! So they would post like minute long highlights. Uh-huh. And there's a rumor going around that they were meant to put Kyrie in. <laughs> they took him out, but they scratched him at the last second. And Who people they put are in saying instead, Carmelo. Well, <laughs> there's no, there was no confirmation, but people are saying that's how Dame got in because he oh, was no. he had Dame. Okay, is the, Dame should not be in there. Dame, for is the the young, <laughs> Dame is the youngest player. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the youngest active player in the list. Also, like, yeah, I saw some people. First of all, the fact that Dwight Howard's not on that list is a, is a disgrace. Yeah, compared to some of the some of the plumbers from the 60s, right? But but also I saw someone even just comparing like Paul George's resume to Dame's. Like Paul George has a lot more All NBA appearances, more All Star teams stuff like that. Right, right. I just think that's really funny. The prospect that they scratch Kyrie at the last second because of all the nonsense going on is is and then put Dame in there is pretty funny to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, back to the Suns. I want to read you something. You got it. Starters. 96 offensive rating defensive rating 125 terrible, yep. terrible 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 minus whatever I had minus 26 yeah I think you must have it right minus 30 net rating because I just wrote it down wrong the all bench lineup <laughs> just want to read this to you which
2: played like three minutes or yeah right <laughs> no
1: no no they played more than that but uh, okay. they, I think it's the second most minutes of any lineup uh which is Cameron Payne right by the way Cameron Payne uh played very well like he's injured now I'm not sure how serious that injury is. But I think he's looked really good in the in the first two games before he uh, stretched out his hamstring wrong there, and we'll see if he can come back and keep playing at that level. Because I thought I just think he's looked great to start off the season, uh, and if you look at the lineup statistics, all of the best lineups have Cameron Payne in it because Chris Paul is just getting killed right now, and it's just more of a fault of the starters than Chris Paul, for the record. But the all bench lineup, which is Cameron Payne, Landry Shamit, uh, Cameron Johnson, uh, Abdul Nader. And JaVale McGee has an offensive rating of 124, a defensive rating of 107, and a net rating of plus 16.7. which nice. I, I just didn't expect that, but I think in comparison to the starters, I think it gives you a really good idea of just how badly the starters have been getting run off the court so far. And it's a you know, it's both offense and defense for the starters. It really is both, and I think the offense has I- looked really good when you sort of mix up the starters but for whatever reason when the starters are on the floor they can't score and they can't defend it's both
2: you're talking about the team with the most continuity coming into the season there's the meme yeah. word again but i just i have no reason to believe that that doesn't normalize within like the next week we got to reevaluate we got to do like a 10 game into the season stat breakdown or something i and i guarantee you it'll normalize by then by the way mm-hmm. what if i told mm-hmm. you that as of today october 24th when we record this 25th probably when you're listening or beyond Alfred Payton is the third leading scorer on the Phoenix Suns <laughs> on a po- on a on a points per game basis, 14, 14 points per game, mm-hmm. six assists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because like I really I kind of feel the need to defend Alfred from the hordes of people coming after him on the internet. Yeah. And especially from the hordes of Knicks fans who are just salty motherfuckers. But, uh, if I'm,
1: if, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he was the only player that did not get outscored while he played in the Portland game. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think like so, He was a so, zero, I think, but like on the everyone one hand, else was a negative.
2: On the one hand, I think he played well. Yeah. You can see the the fractures, though. Like You're, the, you're missing a lot. I mean, in comparison to Cameron Payne, you're missing a lot. Like so Cameron Payne is much better. Campaign drives. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he passes out of those drives, too. Mm-hmm. Kind of an important skill to have as a point guard. <laughs> Alfred, Alfred drives, and he puts his head down, and he's really good at getting there. We've talked about, like, the, the... 99th percentile. The, yeah, the B-ball index stats, whatever. He's really good at getting there. He's he's getting to the rim, and he doesn't even look at anyone else. He doesn't even look at the rim. He just flips it up, and and against Portland, it And works. he can
1: pass. It's a weird thing, because he's he can pass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, I think his defense is, has looked relatively good. Well, it's to like so far. I, I
2: think I think when he's because I think he actually came out yesterday and like in the first, the late first quarter, early second, whatever. He he was pretty good about like you know I'm gonna do this conservatively. I'm gonna run mm-hmm. our sets, whatever. Yeah, he found Devin Booker first it, first play. Yeah. If he's in the mindset, of he's gonna run sets, he's gonna run sets. He'll get assists. Mm-hmm. But when he decides to when go to the rim, out, yeah, he's going to the rim. <laughs> yeah, he and, turns uh, into yeah. Kelly Oubre. We'll see. without the finishing. We'll see how that progresses throughout the season. I can definitely. Well, actually, see... I'm glad
1: you. I'm glad you brought that up because, yep. um, weirdly, the players that have looked sort of the best so far are the new guys. <laughs> Landry Shamit. I mean, Landry Shamit relies on other people to get him the ball, and I think that's going to be the case for a while until he gets really comfortable within the offense. Uh, but Shamit's looks good; like he's been doing the things that you Straight want up, him to do for sure. Uh, JaVale McGee has looked great. I think sure. he's he's everything you know less dribbling would be fine with me like I don't need him to be in the scenario where I think that he needs to quickly when he catches it in space and there's room in front of him he needs to quickly reset back to a DHO and just allow the guards to run that offense again I know they're gonna try to trap or hedge or show or whatever they want to do to get the ball out of those guards hands but let's just do it again and <laughs> give them a chance to give you the ball on your way to the rim instead of turning and dribbling uh, but still I think he's looked really good um Kind of all over the place as far as just flying around. I'm worried about him getting injured already, Uh, but I think he's looked good. And, you know, Alfred Payton is whatever, but those two guys that are part of the main rotation have looked pretty good. I mean, I've been really impressed with both of them. I think they're going to be really good pieces for this
2: team going forward. I definitely think we need to start a counter for how many times does JaVale fall on his ass throughout the game because it's (laughs) it's been an alarming amount. And you know it's kind of there's a difference between the way he does it and the way Dario does it. Dario used to just be clumsy, like he would just kind of fall over himself while trying to dribble, um, or while you know, like someone would overpower him while he was going for a rebound. Javale is reckless. He he looks like he's never experienced pain before because he's just he twists his bodies <laughs> in in strange ways and at weird angles. And yeah, he's probably hit the deck like fifteen times already in three games, which and is he a dives. little yeah. It's a little nerve wracking. On the one hand, you appreciate yeah. the hustle, but yeah, it's it is a little nerve wracking, dude. You know Frank Kaminsky's your backup, right? We don't want right. Wanna...
1: He's there just warming up on the, on yeah. the sidelines every so. time Javale's on the floor. But yeah, I've gotten worried about that. But yeah, overall, impressed with those additions and shout out to James Jones who did a good job getting both of those guys. I think even though Javon Carter is playing really well, I think for uh, Brooklyn so far, part of the reason he's able to play on that team is because they have non-point guard ball handlers that are able to get him the ball when he needs it and that just allows him to spend most of his time
2: in the corner so i'm just really i still miss him i'm really happy for javon carter man yeah, you never gonna you're never gonna hear me say a bad thing about that the
1: guy. nets by the way also one and two uh just just for for some perspective uh quickly i just want something to bring up something else and then i just want to get your sort of panic level i know we brought it up but i just want to end it with how you feel um Mikel is definitely getting the third option treatment. Now, this is something that you brought up earlier, but I just want to just kind of just just talk about that specifically real quick. Sure, he's clearly the third option. They're clearly gonna to gonna keep going with that to, to see if it works. Um, and the Lakers game, I mean, he just killed them. He was so so good in the Lakers game. I think struggled a little bit in the Nuggets game. We talked about that in our Patreon episode. Just him taking the most shots in the game. It's just it's difficult to to see that leading to a victory unless he's just really, really efficient, and he wasn't in that game. And I think the Portland game was a little up and down for him too. Just how are you feeling about the Mikel third option so far?
2: Yeah, the Portland game I think was mostly just back to his typical catch and shoot. Like I think he was yeah. actually one of the only guys in that game who made his threes. But uh, I think Portland did a really good job of denying him the ball. Uh, the, whereas in the Lakers game, he, he took control of the game at times. So I think there was a big difference between the two. I feel pretty good about it, man. I, I feel pretty good about it. I uh, you know. Mikhail scored a post up basket yeah, he in did. the Lakers.
1: How crazy was that? And, I mean and you know we've point. seen him so he
2: he got uh he got a switch. MPJ was his guy who we know he can cook anyway, but he got a switch onto uh Faku, Campazo. And at that point it was perfect. Because now it's like Chris Paul was out on the perimeter with MPJ guarding him. Flashback to the playoffs. We know how that works. But um or are you talking about the Nuggets game or are you talking about the Lakers game? No, did there was a Laker, there was one in both now that you mention it. Did he who did he post up in the Lakers game cuz I'm still just thinking about the that little Composso white guy, game. right?
1: <laughs> What's his name? Like uh Alex Reeves? something. Reeves? Yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck, let me look it up. Well, that anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to look
2: it up. Uh I don't know. Anyway, yeah, he did in the Nuggets game. And and all I was going to say, we've seen him attack from the perimeter before. He gets a switch onto a small. He attacks mm. from the perimeter, gets to his mid-range, shoots over them. But definitely actually going at them in the post is not something we've seen before. The one play—I actually don't remember the Lakers' play, but the one I remember against Compazzo looked a little awkward, but he scored. So I'm not mm. going to argue against it.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, I feel good about it. It's just interesting to see him work on things, right? I think there has been— I talked about it, in, and sorry, I keep referring back to it. It's a Patreon episode. I guess if you want to listen to those, feel free to sign up. But Austin Reeves, Austin Reeves. There
2: you go. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> fucking a, asshole. Alex Austin, whatever. <laughs> uh, look, he's got to do something before I remember from, his name. I'm not a draft guy. He's from Arkansas, which makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. That does make sense, actually. Uh, but like, there has been, I think, part of what the Suns have done is they're they're doing too much of the things that they worked on in the offseason instead of the things that they did really well last season. And I think that it's almost like it's still preseason for them a little bit, and I think they'll get back to certain things. But, uh, you know, I think there was some of that with Cameron Payne. There was some of that with Mikael Bridges. There's some of that with just the way the offense was flowing in general, which I think falls mostly on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So it's up to them, I think, to settle things down and get things going right back to the way they were. Um, And I think that they're going to get back to it. So as far as panic levels, which is where I want to end this I'm I'm on, I'm low on the panic level scale, but having said that, there will now be a massive distraction added into this, as we talked about at the beginning of this episode. Um, there could be other distractions that come going forward. We're not sure what the stories are going to be in the ESPN piece, and if they continue to go bad, if it continues to go badly early, there could be trades. I think we talked about that in our season preview. The one thing that could lead to massive trades on this team. Is if the Suns start out badly, twenty-five games into the season, and they're not playing well, they could start looking to make massive moves, which they have the assets to do, and that could be uh, interesting. We'll say I'm not going to frame it as good or bad because I have no idea what that would look like. But I think that I, I'll say this. Maybe I'm one to panic. I think a little bit more than you in general. Maybe I'll I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's true at all.
2: <laughs> you don't? Know? Okay, good. Wait, that wait. You said you said you you said you panic more. I think so. Yeah. Have you ever looked at my Twitter the day of a trade?
1: <laughs> OK, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I think that I, I, I guess I'll, I read into red flags a little bit more is
2: what I'll say. OK, sure. <laughs> because sure, sure. I see things that I think we uh, we panic about different things. That's, that's I, you're right.
1: Like if you if you're a zero here on the panic scale, would you would you say you're a zero? No, I'm a one. Okay, because I'm you're like a two. five. I feel like I'm like out of out of one to a hundred. I'm like a five. Like I'm still I'm still a little bit concerned uh, because I just expected them to be better. But I think the main thing that's keeping me l- relatively low on that scale is the fact that Devin Booker wasn't quite right, and I think that affects every part of the team. Mm-hmm. And once he looks better, I think it's going to make a big difference. But,
2: I, yeah. I'll just say you know these were good teams that you're playing, and they prepared yeah. for you. So now you have to prepare even better. Right. Um, but but my mood could sour. Quickly, because you look at the upcoming schedule, you've got the Kings, the Cavs, the Pelicans, the Rockets, the Hawks, and the Kings again. Those are your next six games. The only team in there that would have any right to beat you are the Hawks, and even (laughs) even even them, technically by the books, like according to preseason odds, should be an underdog. Mm -hmm. But they're at least a good team. The Pelicans are okay the kings are okay they but they really you should not drop a game to the kings if you're a contender. the pelicans are bad you should not (laughs) drop a game to the Cavs if you're a contender although by the way evan mobley looks fantastic yeah you should not drop a game to the rockets if you're a contender you have a chance to to steer the ship in the positive direction early but if you don't if you drop the next two games then my panic level goes up a lot
1: here's that's when you sorry no, you're fine. Here's you how I'll rank how my panic level has been in the last few days or since yesterday, really. Have I thought about the fact that Willie Green is no longer with the coaching staff? Yeah, a few times. That's interesting. <laughs> I've thought about that a few times <laughs> because I'm like, we don't know what he did. And it seems like he was incredibly smart. And incredibly is Monty a fraud? <laughs> that's Start not exactly the narrative where early. That's, that's how it- <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's how you sound right now, or was it? Was it losing Jeff Bauer? Yeah, maybe it's he's Jeff gone Mauer, too. Yeah. It I'm just be.
1: saying part of the part of the process of preparation falls onto the the assistant coaches, and and one of the main assistant coaches is gone. So it's You're just right. and, you know, and there's a learning curve for them too. So we'll see how it goes.
2: I think um, there are there are two games this week before we come out to you guys again. One game before yeah, a the long Patreon break. actually when it's a Wednesday night game this week. Oh, it's a late game, so we'll record Thursday. We'll record the Patreon on Thursday night after the Kings game. For those of you who just listen once a week, there'll be two games. If they drop these two games against the Kings and the Cavs before we're back next week, you're going to hear a lot of uh, Miami Heat comparisons probably on your timeline. Maybe even worse. So you cannot allow that that to happen.
1: (laughs) Last thing is if anything comes out soon uh, about Robert Sarver and ESPN's report or anything like that, we'll be back to talk about that, you can assure it. Especially if the entire story is published, we will definitely have an episode talking about the implications of that um and we appreciate you guys if you want to sign up for the patreon patreon.com slash timeline extra episode every week lots of other things that we'll have coming at you there very soon uh we'll be back patreon wednesday thursday ish and next week with another episode appreciate you guys